Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. I hope you have thawed out now and are recovering well from last week's bitter winter storm. We'll have a lot more of that coming up in today's show. I'm Kerry Martin, your host, along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. We're covering it all from the Piney Woods of East Texas out to the rocky ranges of the Trans-Pecos and from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. Sometimes life is all about timing. When the brutal cold spell hit recently, Texas High Plains wheat was not very far along in its development, and that turns out to have been a good thing. I'm James Hunt, and I'll explain that on Texas Ag Today. Assessing the livestock situation in Central Texas during the February winter storm. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. Texas farmers and ranchers are transitioning from a time of survival to a phase of recovery and repair. I'm Gary Joyner, and I'll have those details on Texas Ag Today. We'll have those stories, plus Texas wildlife news, and a complete look at the markets all coming up. As the cleanup and recovery from last week's winter storm gets underway, it's important to document any livestock losses. Jessica Domel has more. If you lost livestock in the winter storm last week, be sure to take photos and write everything down. Ethan Lane, the Vice President of Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, explains why. In our conversations with the new team at USDA earlier this week and and last week, they reiterated to us that they were already taking stock of what they were going to need in order to make sure they could deliver aid to producers quickly and efficiently once these, uh, these items start to come to the surface and we know who needs what. Whenever we see a disaster like this, whether it's a fire, whether it's a hurricane and a flood or a deep freeze like this, you have a different set of circumstances that might impact different producers around the country. So it's going to be really important for producers to make sure they keep really good records, really good notes, save all of their documentation so that when it's time to start looking into how you might participate in any of these disaster assistance programs, you're going to have the tools you need to make sure you get what you need to get out of those programs to get through this and get back to business as normal. That was Ethan Lane for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. Tom Vilsack has been confirmed by the Senate as the new U.S. Secretary of Agriculture. It's Vilsack's second term on the job, which he held for eight years during the Obama administration. Texas Farm Bureau President Russell Boehning says the organization worked well with Vilsack during that time. We stand ready to work with Secretary Vilsack again on critical issues such as the Farm Bill, rural connectivity, supply chain, regulatory reform, coronavirus release, and more. Vilsack becomes the nation's 32nd Secretary of Agriculture. Texas winter wheat may have gotten through last week's brutal cold without much damage. James Hunt reports from Amarillo. 
We'll probably have to wait until harvest to truly know the impact of the recent bitter chill, but early indicators for Texas High Plains wheat are generally positive. Texas A&M AgriLife agronomist Jordan Bell says points in wheat's favor include the fact that when the extreme cold arrived, the crop was still in dormancy, and in much of the region, some protection was already in place. The sub-zero temperatures in the Texas Panhandle hit the morning of the 15th. And with that, though, we already had a blanket of snow on the ground. It actually snowed the night of the 13th to the morning of the 14th. Also on the plus side, where wheat was at developmentally. In the midst of brutally cold air temperatures, the plant's most crucial components were still below ground, enjoying what Bushland Research Center readings suggest were more tolerable temperatures. From the 15th through about the 20th, when we started to really see the snowfall melt, our two-inch soil temperature hovered between 36 and 37 degrees. So that's cold, but that's still above freezing. And that's significant because that is the depth where the crown and where the developing head and where the growing point is located. And that really did help minimize the damage Dr. Bell says there might be forage loss to varying degrees due to winter kill, but as for grain, with the right conditions going forward, there's still hope for a decent crop. When people hear the term winter kill, they often assume, oh, the plant is fully dead. Well, that's not the case. We are really talking about just foliar injury and dead leaf tissue above the full surface. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Central Texas farmers and ranchers are cleaning up and assessing the damage from last week's winter cold blast. Tom Nicoletti has more. My guest today in Waco is Dr. Shane McClellan. He is with Texas AgriLife Extension Service uh, for McLennan County. And uh, Shane, uh, quite the storm. Very low temperatures, uh, ice, snow in Central Texas. So talk about the livestock situation, Shane, from a feed standpoint, watering the livestock, what ranchers had to do, uh, how, the, how the livestock coped in this very, very frigid environment. Everyone was trying to gear up and beat the cold, putting out hay, feeding a little bit. And then once everything started kind of icing over, snow started to accumulate, you had to, to definitely make sure that you were keeping your livestock fed so they could just stay warm, just through, you know, digesting their feed. And a lot of our farmers had to fight hay bales the whole time they were putting them out because all those hay bales were covered in ice and snow. And you'd have to fight that frozen rat to get it off the bales and then put it out. And, of course, they were operating out in those cold, frigid conditions anyway. That's hard enough on a livestock producer, but... They were out there two to three times a day putting out hay, putting out feed, and then hauling water where they needed to haul water. And often that might be by a five-gallon bucket from their home because all the other water was cut off or frozen. What about newborn calves early in the week as uh, the storm was uh, settling in, Shane? Uh, how did they cope? How did they survive? Monday and Tuesday were probably the worst two days just because of the, the low temperatures at one degree temperature on Tuesday. And uh, snow was blowing in and it was a powdery snow. Even even if they you know had a windbreak, some kind of shelter, brush in a barn, that snow would find its way in, into those areas. So it was hard for them to get out of the weather. On those calves and lambs, goats, any kind of livestock that were born Monday and Tuesday, it was pretty tough. That was when we lost some newborns. What about your personal situation there, Shane? Uh, you run cattle. You had to deal with the situation as well. We had some heifers calving and then some, a bunch of sheep that were lambing early. They were about a week earlier than what that we had planned on. Of 
course, they were born during the their coldest time. But I had heat lamps up. I, I thought I was ready. They, they had access to either barns or shelter to get out of the weather, and they were okay. On the lambs, a lot of them didn't make it. They were born Monday and Tuesday. My wife was real proud of me. We had four orphaned lambs that my children and I found that were basically going to die. They were they were suffering from freeze, the cold weather, the temperatures. We got them into the vehicle and put them in, under the passenger side heater on the floorboard, kind of warmed them up a little bit, took them home and started bottle feeding them. So we had four lambs and pets and my wife and kids by the fireplace for, I guess, four, five days there. That again is Dr. Shane McClellan with the Texas AgriLife Extension Service in McLennan County of Central Texas. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Texas farmers and ranchers are transitioning from a time of survival to a phase of recovery and repair. Gary Joyner has the details. Texas is thawing out. Farmers and ranchers are transitioning from a period of survival during the winter blast to a phase of recovery and repair. A lot of work lies ahead and it will take time to get everything working again. Last week's desperation and exhaustion are still fresh on their minds. Valuable lessons were learned though. Farmers and ranchers will be better prepared for the next Arctic freeze, whenever that may come because of what they endured this past week. The winter storm tested them in many ways created unexpected challenges, required difficult decisions. It was tough to see the beauty in any of the snow as we still don't know the magnitude of what the winter storm will cost Texas farmers and ranchers. But the spirit of neighbor helping neighbor in rural Texas was on full display when temperatures were at their lowest. Stories of resiliency and compassion echoed during the freeze and continue as folks recover. Questions about the Texas power grid and what caused the power shortage will be addressed in the coming days in Austin. That's the proper venue with policymakers who can affect change. In the meantime, farmers and ranchers point to the future and the opportunities ahead, focused on the job of growing more food and fiber. I'm Gary Joyner for Texas Ag Today. The eyes of the nation were focused on Texas last week, but the bitter cold, snow, and ice affected farmers all over the country, including our neighbors to the east. Don Molino tells us how the cold affected the Louisiana crawfish industry. St. Martin Parish crawfish producer Jody Mesh says the bitterly cold weather in southwest Louisiana mostly reduced the catch. You know, guys who were seeing a production of 40, 40 sacks or so a run dropped down to like four sacks, you know, so it it, it, it it, it dropped dropped off considerably. Down when the warmer temperatures are gonna uh, warm things up, I think that's gonna bounce back. Hopefully, it didn't um, freeze and kill some of those juvenile crawfish that are in those shallow uh, ponds. You know, hopefully, we're gonna we're gonna weather that cold weather and come out on the other side uh, okay. But uh, a crawfish, it, it's a, a pretty resilient creature. You know what I mean? They they withstand uh, far more temperature issues and, and environmental, environmental issues than what we think they can withstand, you know. So the basin, I, I don't think it's going to have much of an impact. I, actually, I had I had my best run uh, during uh, during just right above 30-degree temperatures when we were coming off of that real cold snap. We were still in the 30s. Buddy says there was also a good side to the freezing tap ears for his crawfish crop. Cooler weather actually makes the water quality a little better. So you usually see better production. It's just it's tough to get out there in freezing temperatures and get your hands wet and, and run your crawfish traps, you know. But I think with a little warmer uh, weather, we, we, we ought to be able to bounce back from that cold snap pretty good, hopefully. You know, we are all depending on it. Last year, we, we, we took a heck of a lick with the COVID, you know, and I mean, it's still, it still got us kind of, uh, you know, stung a little bit. And hopefully we can we can uh, 
bounce back from that. We could get this COVID under control and people can get back to work and, and life can get back to some sort of normalcy. And, and people are going to want to eat plenty of crawfish and we're going to hopefully we're going to have plenty of them. In St. Martin Parish, Louisiana, I'm Don Molino on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Humans and livestock weren't the only ones affected by last week's winter storm. I'm Jessica Domel, and I'll explain some of the effects on wildlife on Texas Ag today. And excessive fat in dogs can cause plenty of problems. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd tells how coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. This week is National FFA Week, February 20th through the 27th, and FFA students across the country are celebrating and sharing the FFA story. I'm Miriam Hoffman, National FFA Eastern Region Vice President from Illinois. National FFA Week is a time to share what FFA is and the impact it has on members. It's the top school-based youth leadership organization and cultivates and nurtures future leaders who will change how the world grows. Share your FFA stories during hashtag FFA Week. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Well, you may be like me and you carry a little extra weight around the middle. That's not good for you. And it's not good for your dogs either. Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd tells why. Increased fat in the blood in dogs is called hyperlipidemia and is usually caused by increased cholesterol, triglycerides, or both. Many dogs will have fat in their blood after eating, but the fat should be cleared by 12 hours. Some breeds, like schnauzers, have excess fat in the blood normally, but many conditions can also lead to hyperlipidemia. Mild clinical signs include intermittent vomiting, diarrhea, and abdominal pain, while more severe symptoms can develop, including pancreatitis, seizures, nerve paralysis, and behavior changes. Patients with diabetes, low thyroid function, Cushing's disease, pancreatitis, and obesity are also likely to have increased fat in the blood. So it is a good idea for your vet to test for these diseases if your pet has excessive fat in the blood, even after fasting. So how do you know if your dog has excessive fat in the blood? A blood test can be performed to give you and your vet that information. And this is one of the reasons we recommend annual blood testing when a patient comes in for vaccines. We recommend the patient come in fasting, and then we can determine if the dog has fasting hyperlipidemia, as well as check multiple other parameters, such as the blood count, kidney, and liver function. Many times we find abnormalities in this routine screening blood work that we need to address. And if the patient does have excess fat in the blood, the first option is to feed a low-fat food and then recheck the blood after a period of time to see if the lipemia has decreased. If not, there are other options. But the most important thing is to find out if your pet has hyperlipemia. I'm Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Humans and livestock weren't the only ones affected by last week's winter storm. Jessica Domel has more in today's wildlife report. The ice, snow, and bitter temperatures across Texas last week took its toll on a variety of wildlife species across the state. Kevin Cry, waterfowl program leader for the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department, explains the impact on species like geese and ducks. The good news is waterfowl are, for the most part, very well adapted to this type of weather. Obviously, feathers and wings allow them to be mobile and, and be well insulated. But this was definitely an interesting storm. The fact it came in so abruptly and so quickly, almost without notice, 
and then lingered for so long that there were a handful of species that, for the most part, winter further south and even Texas sometimes. So they're not what you would consider one of the more hardy type waterfowl or ducks. We did have a few documented events of some mortalities. Most of those mortalities were small in size, two, three hundred birds, mostly American coots and a handful of more warm climate birds like black belly whistling ducks and blue-winged teal. Cry said it's believed that the birds were wintering further south and were making their way back north. They were probably just starting to push their way north and just got caught by surprise from this storm. Most waterfowl, all geese, uh, allergies, pintails, you know, a suite of other species of birds are often exposed to below zero temperatures sometimes, and they handle it quite well. And it just seems like there's a couple of species that were just a little bit shocked by it. In addition to waterfowl, other birds and other wildlife like turtles and bats and fish were impacted by the winter weather. In fact, biologists from the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department are still on the Texas coast assessing the number of fish killed by the cold snap. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. I'm Jessica Domel. It was one of those rare days on Wednesday when you see higher prices across the board. Livestock, cotton, grains, all ending in positive territory on Wednesday. We'll take a complete look at the livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. This week is National FFA Week, February 20th through the 27th, and FFA students across the country are celebrating and sharing the FFA story. I'm Miriam Hoffman, National FFA Eastern Region Vice President from Illinois. National FFA Week is a time to share what FFA is and the impact it has on members. It's the top school-based youth leadership organization and cultivates and nurtures future leaders who will change how the world grows. Share your FFA stories during hashtag FFA Week. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. Well, you don't see very many days in the agricultural markets where everything finishes in the green. Positive territory for livestock, cotton, and grains across the board on Wednesday. We'll start with the livestock, of course. The cattle market finishing higher. February live cattle up 95 at 116.57. The April up a dollar two, 122.22. June live cattle up 97 cents. At 120.10. March feeder cattle up a dollar eighty, one forty thirty-seven. April feeders up two fifteen, one forty-four seventy-five. The May up a dollar seventy at one forty-six eighty. Cash fed cattle market saw a few sales earlier in the week at one fourteen. That's steady with last week. We had the online fed cattle exchange yesterday. We had four hundred nine head of Texas cattle sold in that sale. Those cattle went for one fourteen and a quarter. Boxed beef prices mixed on Wednesday choice up a dollar eleven, two forty one forty, select down at sixty-four cents, two twenty-nine eighty-nine. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pens with J.R. Gully. Most of the livestock auction barns in the state have resumed normal operations after closing down during last week's cold snap. Riley Rhodes of Live Oak Livestock in Three Rivers resumed his normal operation on Monday and reported decent numbers but maybe a weaker market due to some buyer in attendance due to the storm. We ended up with 839 head, so uh, not too bad after coming back from the winter storm. A few of the buyers were still out, all still having troubles with their water 
leaks and everything else, kind of like uh, kind of like myself. But but uh, still had quite a few orders in the house. Might have caused the market to be a little bit cheaper just because some of the bigger order buyers still not back in after the storm. Calcare paired brought from seven fifty to ten seventy five. Some bread cows uh, from six fifty up to a thousand. Uh, high note today was the Packer cows. They put quite a bit of money on the rail on those things. Uh, sixty six to seventy four on your high yielding cows. Breakers sixty to sixty eight. Your canners thirty six to fifty eight. Kind of the same story on your Packer bulls eighty eight to ninety six on your high yielding bulls. The two to three weight choice steers one seventy four to one eighty six. Ephraim eights one forty to one sixty two. Uh, three to four weight choice steers one sixty four to one eighty two. Ephraim eights one thirty four to one fifty two. Four to five weight choice steers one fifty to one seventy four. Ephraim eights one thirty to one forty two. Five to six weight choice steers one thirty eight to one sixty. Ephraim eights one twenty to one thirty two. Six to seven weight choice steers one twenty four to one thirty six. Ephraim eights one fourteen to one twenty four. And the seven to eight weight cattle year choice steers one twenty to one thirty two. And the heifers one twelve to one twenty. So I was pleased with it. Had pretty decent volume coming back from the storm. And, you know, market was, you know, I thought it was all right. Riley Rhodes of Live Oak Livestock in Three Rivers. This has been Walking the Pens from the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. I'm J.R. Gully in for Larry Marble. Thanks, JR. Back over to the futures market where lean hogs took a huge jump on Wednesday. April hogs up $3, closing at $89.42. The May up $270, $91.55. Class 3 milk was higher. March milk up $0.29, cents, $16.15, a hundredweight. There seems to be no stopping the cotton market. It charges higher. We hit life of contract highs again on Wednesday. Growing demand and an improving world economy all contributing to the jump in cotton prices well above 90 cents on the old crop contracts. May cotton up 102 points at 93.69. The July up 100, 94.33. New crop December up 91 points, closing at 87.66. Double-digit gains in the wheat market on Wednesday as this market tries to digest exactly what happened to the wheat crop after last week's bitter cold temperatures. Still too early to assess the total damage, but nonetheless, the market seems to be factoring some in. July Kansas City wheat up 15 and a quarter, 666 and a quarter. July Chicago wheat up 13 and three quarters, 670 and a half. The corn market higher, March corn up five and a half, 559 and a quarter. September corn up six and three quarters, 496 and a half. The December corn up seven, closing at 476 and three quarters. In the energy markets, March natural gas lost a penny, 286. April crude oil up $1.45, 63.12 a barrel. The financial markets higher, the Dow Jones Industrial Average up 424 points, 31,961. The NASDAQ up 132 at 13,597. The S&P 500 up 44 at 3,925. Well, that's a look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. Don't forget, we'll be right back here tomorrow to bring you all of the latest news in Texas agriculture. I'm Kerry Martin. Hope to see you then. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.